Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello. And welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 262, recorded March 4th, 2017. Kapla. You should have done an end Klingon, Ken. Damn it. Ah, oh, you're good. Good point. Uh, but then who would, I mean, well, okay. Everybody listening to this would, would understand the Klingon. Good point. Maybe next time we do a full Klingon episode. I would have to learn the language. <laughs> you, I thought you knew it. I do not. I, I do not. Well, neither do I. When I was a kid and they started coming out with those learn Klingon books right. and stuff, uh, I did think about, oh, that would be really cool to to learn how to speak Klingon. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, well, maybe I should learn how to speak a real language first. <laughs> like maybe French. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so I never did do it, but uh, but there are people out there that can and 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 apparently do. Yeah, and and that's awesome. Okay, well, a long, 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 long time ago, I listened to an audio book that Michael Dorn did of one of those learn Klingon things. Right, and I I'm listening to it and stuff, and it was pretty funny because they put some humor into it and stuff. But it's like about halfway through, I was like, uh, I think I'm done. Right. I never finished it. But the first half I listened to was kind of cool. Right. Now, I, I like it when they uh, make reference to that kind of thing in, like, sitcoms and stuff. There was a great episode of, I think, Frasier. Where, oh, really? Uh, Frasier? Some, yeah, so some kid is uh, – <laughs> he's going to have his first – or his bed mitzvah, uh-huh. and he has to, you know, learn how to, you know, read the passage or whatever sure. in Hebrew. And then as a joke, this guy teaches him how to say it in Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes up there in front of you know the congregation, and, and he reads it in, in Klingon, and <laughs> not knowing that he's not speaking Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nasty. Yeah. It's like that old uh, Steve Martin joke. Here's a great practical joke. You get a kid, and you raise him, but you speak wrong the whole time. Right. <laughs> and then the kids like talking, and he's totally wrong. Anyway, yeah. it's, a, it's a great joke. That's funny. Okay, so Kelsey Grammer, I know he's a Star Trek fan. Um, right. I guess so. Is he? Yes. Yes, he is. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons he was – one of the reasons he was in that um, – what, Yesterday's Enterprise? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And And I think also at the time there was – I mean, that was, you know – Star Trek and of course all the all the spin-off series were going on. Par- parent company Paramount and Paramount also produced um the you know Frasier the the TV show, Frasier TV show. Right. So there was kind of I think there was also some cross uh, marketing going on a little bit. Anyway, so That's funny. I know that he wanted um he wanted Christy Alley to be his second officer in that Yesterday's Enterprise, but they <laughs> didn't let him use her. Because I think she was going to do it too, but then um, I guess that came out right before Star Trek 
six, and you know they were still planning on having uh, Savick be the the traitor instead of um, mm-hmm. Kim Cattrall's character. Right. So they didn't they didn't let him use that character, which would have been cool to see Christy Alley in the character again. Yeah, that would have been cool. Oh well. But we wouldn't have gotten the cool Spock, uh, you know, Spock and her getting married stories if if she was really stuck in a time loop all that time with Kelsey Grammer. So, in the end, it works out better. It worked out fine. Plus, okay. I wouldn't want her to be a bad guy. That 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 to me would have been that would have been a bad move. Yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah, but anyway, so <clears throat> we have not even told anybody what we're doing today. I know. So Donovan, what are we doing? We are doing uh, Star Trek Klingons Blood Will Tell issues four and five, and then following it up with Star Trek. Alien Spotlight, Klingons. Klingons? Klingons, that's what my pa used to call them. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, so we never did Alien Spotlight, Klingons, so we're doing that now. And um, and I these three books, quite good. I enjoyed them a lot. I did, too. I did, too. I uh, didn't know what to expect with the, Kling, the, the Alien Spotlight one, I'll be honest, because some right. of those Alien Spotlights are hit or miss. But this one was a good one, and and uh, I won't have a lot to talk about it because you know it's hard to say how much you love it more you know more than that. But uh, but uh, out of the three, that was my favorite, right? From today. Yep. Uh, I like the last one also, but I also like seeing the conclusion of the uh, five-parter. Uh, Blood will tell. Right. You knew where it was going to go. You knew that because yeah. we all seen Star Trek Six. We know how it ends, but. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed the journey. Well, I, you know, I think I like the fifth issue best of all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, so, it's not a flashback. Exactly. So the first four are just kind of like showing classic episodes, um, but from the Klingon stand point of view, which is cool. That's, you know, that, that's kind of interesting seeing. It just kind of got like, oh, I know the story and it isn't that much different from the Klingon standpoint, but it's the fifth issue that I, I, I would like. I like some of the things that happened in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And it was new. You know. It was a new story. Right. Okay. All right. So you want to get going with uh, yeah. issue number four? Yeah, let's, let's get going. Okay, so I'm uh, doing issue number four. Uh, there's no title, subtitle that I could find. Um, this one published date, uh, uh, July 2007. Writers, uh, and of course... I think all the issues had the exact same people doing it, but since we haven't mentioned the creative team in this episode, let me do it. It's the same as last uh, week's, or last issues, uh, last episodes. Writers, Scott and David Tipton. Artist, David Messina. Art assist by Elena Casagrande. Colors, Alaria Traversi. Letters by Neil Yataki. Editors, Dan Taylor and Chris Rial. There are three covers for this issue available. Cover A features a snappily dressed Klingon woman snarling and holding a perfectly clean sword over the dead bodies of a bunch of Starfleet officers lying on the ground. Uh, covers by Joe Caroni. Cover B is a photo cover that shows Kang and some of his crew from the Taws episode Day of the Dove. Also, keep your eyes out in the issue, because you will actually see the same 
seen reproduced uh, in in writing uh, in, in the drawings of the comic. Cover C is drawn by Joe Caroni, and it features Kang sitting in Kirk's uh, chair on the Enterprise bridge with his right-hand gal. It's actually his wife. Kang is holding a long and shiny sword that uh, could be taken as a phallic symbol by someone with a smutty mind like me. The old politician from the previous issues and his granddaughter go to the Klingon Smithsonian Museum of War. They continue to search for the wisdom to know whether he should vote for them to reach out to their traditional enemy, the Federation, to help them deal with the fallout from the Praxis disaster or not. They meet an old friend of Kanara named Morglar, who tells them a story of his first interaction with humans when he was serving under Kang. Moglar proceeds to tell the story of the Taw's episode, Day of the Dove, but from his Klingon point of view. Through a set of events put in motion by a powerful alien entity that feeds on the emotion of hatred, the survivors of Kang's crew come aboard the Enterprise. A large portion of Kirk's crew is trapped in the lower decks on the ship, so a roughly even number of Klingons and Starfleet crew are in the upper decks. The phasers Kirk's crew possesses are suddenly changed into swords. Klingons also now possess swords, somehow. Bloody combat commences. Morglar and his three-person group engage and dispatch many humans, but after a while it becomes obvious they are doing battle with the same humans. The fighting and hatred continue in an apparently endless loop. Eventually, over the shipwide address system, Kang and Kirk order their people to stop fighting and drop all weapons. The alien puppeteer has been discovered and is sent packing by the ending of all hostilities. The two crews are able to overcome their hatred and see admirable characteristics in one another. They even share some drinks and jokes. Back in the present, Morglar confesses that since that first interaction, he fought Starfleet on many other occasions. They were still the enemy, but he no longer fought them with blind hatred. The old politician thanks his friend and departs the Grand Museum while speaking to his granddaughter. He has decided that he will vote to support Gorkhan's efforts to make overtures to the Federation for peace and assistance. To be continued. So, the Day of the Dove, huh? Yep. So, that's the one where they're all laughing at the end? And they and that's how they get rid of the month the creature. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they so the the creature the alien entity apparently uh, feeds off of the emotion of hatred, of course. So uh, I guess they were trying to say, let's give them the opposite of hatred to run them off. Mm-hmm. And they were all laughing. So right, it was like one of those kind of eh, sometimes lame jokes at the end on the bridge of the episodes that sometimes it was good and funny and, and sometimes not. And they were just like forcing laughter. It was like that, but it, you know, with Klingons. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think I've watched that one a lot. What, what season was that one in? Season three. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Another, unfortunately typical 
uh, Taz season three episode. Your favorite. Well, they tended to not be good. And, mm. and, and I really have not seen this episode that often. I mean, I've probably seen it probably five or six times, really. But, uh, you know, it's not one I go out of my way to watch again. Right. Yeah. So uh, I liked the visual of the little ball creature. And, and then that, that, more than anything else, reminded me of what episode it was. I was like, oh, yeah, the little, the little special effect ball that would, like, float down the hallways. Because <laughs> they did a good job recreating it here. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think so, too. There was that kind of like, um, I don't know, glowing, bright kind of look to it. And uh, they did that on the page very well. Yeah, I guess they I only agree. show it once. I was thinking they showed it more than that, but, uh, but yeah, I just see it the one. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Did I state that it was there multiple times? No, 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 no. I'm just thumbing through the book because I saw the one and I was like, oh, wait, man, that, that might not have been the one that really jogged my memory, but it's the only one, so it had, had to have yeah. been it. The one on page 15. Yeah. 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 Yeah, pretty good job. Pretty good job. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, to me this artwork is you know, kind of leaning towards the cartoony side. Right. But I'm a sucker for it. I really do like it. I, I like that you can get you know, more expression out of people than what, what you can if you were trying to be photorealistic. Right. Um, and I like how they depict the Klingons larger than, than they really were in the, in the shows. Oh, yeah. So th- these guys are always a head, at least a head taller than, than the tallest human on the, on the, in the panel. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, all the males have, you know, Superman physiques and everything. And the women have... Uh, Wonder Woman physiques. True. And they all wear skin-tight uniforms. Yes. Yes, they do. So you can see exactly all the musculature. Right. Yep. Which I don't remember that being in the show. Because <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I, this, this was a good one, I think. Yeah. I think the actor that played uh, Kang, who mm-hmm. had been in many other things, too. Uh, back in the '60s and probably '70s, um, he would—he was really a good Klingon, um, kind of like Core, you know, just a classic kind of Klingon. But Kang is like the kind of Klingon you just don't want to mess with, right? Where Core is more intellectual, you know, more—you know—he's more thought, you know, more thoughts going on there. But Kang always seemed to me like just a bad ASS kind of Klingon. Right. Yeah, I always... I, I Again, I hate, to, I hate to always show my ignorance here, but I always... When I think of them, I, I often confuse the two into just just the, you know, the main Klingon baddie. Um, so I, I need to go back and rewatch all the, the original series. Yeah, well, you should. Because I've seen them all, and I know what the stories of probably almost all of them. It's just that you know when you go back and you think about it, often I, I mix up the stories. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. that, that's that's understandable. Well, on the other hand, uh, we're going to eventually get to more of. Um, well, the last thing we review today is going to harken back to a DS9 episode. Um, yeah, it does. Exactly with the albino and everything. And mm-hmm. you, no doubt, remember more details of that episode than I do. So right. I may ask you about that later. 
Sounds good. Okay. So really, one comment I had was this was a typical third season episode, which I wasn't that crazy about. So I guess I already mentioned that. Uh, I guess the only other thing I want to mention is that um, I kind of wondered, the photo cover mm-hmm. on this one, um, I kind of wondered if uh, the storyteller in this, uh, Morglar, was the tall guy behind Kang on the photo cover. So behind Kang, uh, right. to the far right of the cover, there's a tall, taller guy than Kang uh, with, the, the <laughs> with a really entertaining looking beard. Um, I just kind of wondered if he was Moglar. But then um, I went ahead and looked through the issue and things like that. And Moglar not only was pretty much bald when he was an old man, but also towards the end of the story. He's a pretty much a bald guy when he was young, too. So obviously mm. he's not the guy on the cover. That's not him. No, because the guy on the cover has seems to have plenty of hair. Right. And he's quite tall. He's quite tall. Yeah. Um, Kang is not a small guy. So I got a question, uh-huh. uh, and, and maybe it should be a delicate question, but I don't know. Um, you know, uh, often people make choices to dress up as other races uh, and they put on what's called Fans? black blackface. No, just you know oh. actors and stuff. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. You know, you, you've heard of people. You know, there'd be a big controversy when somebody's playing a black guy, or you know, vice versa. You know, like Ro- Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Tropic, oh. Tropic Thunder, things like ah. that. <laughs> yeah. And they always referred to as you know blackface or whatever, and that being a derogatory term. But I was thinking about it. I mean, every time a white person plays a Klingon, they pretty much are doing the same thing. But I've never heard backlash on on that. So, wow. Oh, okay. So that What's was back. The difference? In, that was back in the '60s, and it wasn't as politically correct a, a world, right? As back then. I mean, what Al Jolson is kind of like the old stereotypical thing when he, you know, was doing that Mammy song or something, right? Where right. he had now he had blackface there, and right. And they didn't have it necessarily around I me, mean, like around the mouth, there wasn't as much. Right. Or around the eyes, there wasn't as much. So it really looked kind of freaky. But, I mean, back then, uh, in the 60s, you know, it's, I don't think anybody really cared that much. Now, in the more 90s and 2000s, and definitely now, it's very politically correct kind of thing, they tend to use black actors as Klingons. Yeah, but Galron was a white guy, and Christopher Plummer's a white guy. And, yeah, but I they mean, didn't. But they, they didn't, still do it. I know, but I think specifically those characters. I don't think they had as dark a skin. Did they not? I don't think so. Mm. But yeah, I mean, uh, definitely good point. Back in the back in the sixties, they made them quite dark, lots of makeup. Right. But I don't think they. And cared I agree that, with you now then. more than more often than not. You you see. You know, darker skinned humans playing. <laughs> darker skinned actors are playing the Klingons, but not always, right? So, I mean, uh, you know, the two I mentioned earlier, plus, you know, Doc Brown. Uh, you know, these. Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I, no, I was just, when I was reading this book, is when it really kind of dawned on me. I was just like, you know, uh, you know, I know that like the actor you were talking about, the the older one, you know, maybe have been maybe have been more I don't know, uh 
maybe there was a racial reason or or some sort of derogatory reason that he was doing that and and left makeup out at certain spots and put makeup on other places. Oh, Al Jolson. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know why exactly. I think that was something that came originally out of like vaudeville or something. Right. But then he did that, I guess, on some movies too. So I don't. That's know. what he I was don't know. known I, for. I, I mean, coming from the point of view where I'm, you know, I am a white guy and and <laughs> and you want to play Klingon? I don't. I don't. But I'm just saying. Okay. I see people dressed up. You know, if I saw somebody dressing like a black person, I would think nothing of it. Oh, okay, he's trying to look like. You know that black person, like like on a uh, Tropic Thunder or whatever, right? Uh, but that but, was part uh, of the joke. Yeah, that was part of the joke, right? Yeah. But you've seen it. I've seen people like dress up that way for Halloween, and then like the next day, social media is blowing up about how oh racist this person is because they oh. dressed up as their favorite black actor or whatever. You yeah. Know? And you're just like, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think she or he was trying to be racist when they dressed up like that. Exactly. But. Uh, but I've seen it several times where it blows up and 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 they are acting like that. Well, but you know, yeah, for Klingons, even it, though Klingons technically aren't black, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, it's just always. I, I never really thought of it as being men and women in in black makeup, but when you look at that photo cover, that's that's what they did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. The guy, the 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 actor that played Kang. I believe he was Hispanic. Um, at least I remember seeing him in a lot of shows where he had uh, a Hispanic uh, or maybe a, a Spanish or maybe Mexican accent. Mm. Um, and you know they 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 just want to give him a they want to make him look different from humans, and right. they didn't have much of a. <laughs> a budget in Taz, so they say, "Okay, let's put some hair on you and get some, some, some heavy makeup." Right. You're done. There you go. <laughs> get out there and scowl a lot. Yeah, when you think about it, the time, uh, you know, at the same time, Planet of the Apes is coming out, which has fantastic makeup. Yes, but you got to think about they had a budget for it where you know the TV show Star Trek. Oh no, wouldn't have. <laughs> Plus, so go, he, go back and see. Have you watched the original Planet of the Apes? Oh yeah, I watched film it. lately. A year or so ago, yeah. Okay, well you go back and look at those, and it's like, you know, that really does look like like <laughs> pieces of plastic latex glued onto somebody. It really does. I mean, it really does. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, it. I bought it lock, stock, and barrel when I saw those movies originally. I loved it. And I, and some of that still carries over to today. But you kind of look at it more critically and say, well, you know, that's really obviously makeup. Right. Yeah. Our new TVs don't do uh, science fiction any justices. Good point. Watching Voyager on a 4K TV, yeah. it's like you can see the seams in, in the latex often. Ah. Yeah, especially like uh, you know, like Neelix. I haven't noticed that much, but yeah. like the uh, what was his name, the boy Borg that shows up. I mean, you? No, 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 no. On Voyager. Oh, on Voyager. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Jacob or Hesop or whatever his name is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, oftentimes, his makeup. You're like, you can actually see where the the seam is. Yeah. For the for the nose ridge, and yeah. and I'm sure when I go back and watch. Next generation and things like that, you're going to be able to see it on Wharf, maybe. But uh, Blu-ray, yeah. baby. 
They're, they're even, I mean, upscaling to 4K is like amazing. Right. But, but like I said, I don't, I think science fiction out of all the genres, uh, doesn't transition as well uh, to the higher resolution than, than some of the other ones. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, because even the old shows, you get to see people's wrinkles and stuff. But yeah. here you get to see where the makeup was and wasn't applied, <laughs> <laughs> which you wouldn't have noticed on the, in the old, old TVs. No. Oh, good God. Do you, do you, have you gone back and watched an old videotape of something of standard definition, like back in the day, like back in the 70s or 80s when we had videotape around? It's like, oh my god, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. The picture yeah. quality that we put up with. And, and then, we thought that was that was cutting edge. Oh my god, we the idea that you actually be able to record and play back stuff mm-hmm. at, at your will was wonderful. I mean, videotape was was a godsend. But then when you videotape was always lower quality than the original broadcast. And the original broadcast kind of sucked. So you then ooh, videotape not good <laughs> all right what are we going to talk about Klingons though first before we keep going off on videotapes yes okay we're back we're back okay that's all i had to say about issue four um my last thing is the the plant that bit the Klingons is was that in the show because it seems more of like a you know adam's family type joke <laughs> I do not remember that at all. Okay. Yeah, and, when I was looking at this, I just kept imagining that, that plant that um, uh, Morticia is always feeding. Oh, stuff, right, yeah. And it can eat things because it was exactly. just a puppet. Right. Well, and also remember that this group, you know, walking around the Enterprise, we didn't, we didn't follow these people in, in the original Taz series. Right. I mean, the episode. Uh, I mean, it was mainly focused on Kirk and Kang. It wasn't focused on these guys. So this is all new story. Right. So I, I don't think we saw this in the original show. So in the book on page 20, so uh, page 20. using the, the numbers on the bottom of the page, yep. um, one of the security guys there on the top page, hey! top of the page, looks like Cupcake. It's Cupcake. It does look like Cupcake. <laughs> So he's in the wrong timeline. Exactly. Or maybe this is uh, the original series version of Cupcake. Uh, I don't know. I, do you think it's Random Chance? I think it's Random Chance, but it does look like Cupcake. Yeah. Yeah, because this know. came out in 2007, right? And then the 2009 movie came out later, so it has to be Random It's Oh, random wow. Chance. This came out before. Okay. Yeah. Good call. I didn't realize that uh, it came out before. There yep, just go. Random then. Yeah. Complete Chance. But he's yeah. wearing the same shirt and everything. He is. But then look at the bottom of the page. He looks like yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of rotund. Guy. Yeah. He looks like a big guy. And not muscular necessarily. Right. All right. Shall we finish off the miniseries? Let's do it. Cool. All right. So this is issue number five. It has a cover date of August of 2007. Uh, all the writing and art staff is the same. It has three covers. The first one shows uh, Kaylin reaching out to the reader with her hands covered in blood. And then behind her, we see Conra, which again is her grandfather. Uh, he stands behind her with his arms outstretched. In one hand, he has a batleth. And in the other one, we see a white dove flying out of his hand. 
And then behind him is uh, Councillor Gorkot. And then there's the photo cover, which is a shot from Star Trek VI, which is Chancellor Gorgon and other Klingons uh, in the transporter room. And then the final cover is a collage of several different pictures. So starting from the top and going down to the bottom, we see General Chang. And then we see a smooth-headed Klingon um, with some crosshairs covering him. Possibly that's uh, Kanra. Uh, then we see Counselor Gorkon with a glass of blood wine. And then last we see a scepter with the clawed hand holding a, a sphere. So the story starts with Conrad running towards the council hall so that he can give the decisive vote for favor of accepting Federation assistance. He knows that the opposition will be sending assassins to stop him. He hopes that he can get there in time to help ensure that there will be a Klingon Empire in the next generation. Boarding a train, his keen eye notices a cloaked man behind him. Where there's one, he knows that there will be others. He leads the pursuers into an empty train car. There, he fights the four Klingon assassins. Quickly, he kills two of them. But in the fight with the other two, the controls to the train are damaged and the train crashes off its tracks. Surviving the crash, Conra continues on foot only to, be only to be confronted by another Klingon warrior. This one is female and is none other than his own granddaughter, Kaylin. She has sided herself with the other half of the Klingon Empire that wants to refuse the Federation assistance. She believes it so much that she's willing to fight her own grandfather to the death. The fight is long and glorious. These two combatants who are separated by a generation of time are both fighting for what they feel is the correct path for their people's future. In the end, Kaylin has her grandfather on the ground and is about to deliver the killing blow when he is able to stab his dicta into her breast. Heartbroken, the victorious Conra vows not to let her sacrifice go in vain. He will not allow his people to die out into extinction. Barging into the High Council just as General Chang is about to deliver the final outcome of the vote, Conra gives his vote for in favor of the assistance. He tells them of the death of his granddaughter. Though General Chang is displeased that the vote has passed, the Klingons will indeed seek the aid of the Federation. Counselor Gorkhan is moved, and he asks to meet with Conra privately. Once alone, the counselor drinks to Conra's sacrifice and the possible future of their empire. They even speculate on what Earth might look like when they happen to visit in the future. The end. Ah, a new story. Rather than retreading. Good. I like this issue. Right. Yeah, I was half expecting the fifth issue to be General Chang's version or, you know, tell oh. what was happening during Star Trek Six, but sure. from General Chang's point of view. Right. Um, but I was I was I was happier to see this. It's a, it's a truly unique story. Um, yeah. And um, I agree. And so interesting that they had the twist. Now, mind you, um, 
when the assassins were actually trying to get uh, Conra in this issue, it did occur to me that a he's got to get through. He's he's gonna get through because we know that Chancellor Gorkon, you know, we we know what happens in Star Trek Six, right? So I knew he was gonna be there, and then it did occur to me that you know, that the daughter, the granddaughter, could be in on it. And then when she does show up, it's like, okay, there you go. And then immediately what came to my mind next is, well, she's going to (laughs) die. Right. You know, because, again, we know what happened in in Star Trek VI. Right. So, you know, it was was a twist. It was a cool twist, but nothing – but a twist that was not completely out of left field. Right, which are the best kind of twists? The ones that if you, you could have potentially have seen coming, but you didn't because you were engrossed with the story. Right, so. Right. I thought it was sad that she had to die because, uh, you know, you hate to see you hate to see anybody's granddaughter die, but uh, especially have the grandfather kill her. But sure. I liked the two points of view, right, from, you know, two different generations, one each seeing uh, their their species future in a different light. And right. trying to each thinking that they know best. Yeah, um, I liked it, and and yeah. you know it has parallels to every generation. Every generation thinks that they know more or better than True. their than their parents. So and vice versa, the parents think they know better than the kids. Right. So uh, yeah, and another thing that theme of like, what should the Klingons do? Should they just die out and with their honor intact? Or should they be more flexible and ins- hopefully ensure the survival of their species? Um, that's going to play out again in the last issue for today. Right. In a better way, maybe. A better way? I don't know. A more – I mean – A more, more Klingon way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, just a little foreshadowing for those – well, everybody would have read ahead of time, right? Anyway, we'll, we'll see that when we get to the third issue. Right. I really loved uh, when Conra uh, coughs, you know, after the after the uh, the train crashes and everything, and everything's like there's dust in the air and all that kind of stuff. And probably people were, you know, he probably Conra was hurt too, um, right. but he coughs at one point and he coughs with a K rather than a C. I love that. <laughs> so Klingon. So I thought that was a nice little th- thing the letterer slipped in, or letterer, or the writer, or somebody. Um, That's funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how you normally do the sound effect of coughing, because you wouldn't actually just spell out the word cough. Well, you might. Yeah, you could. Huh. I wonder if that's how they always spell it. But I, yeah, if it isn't, that's actually really funny. <laughs> I didn't even catch it. Yeah. I, I like that nice little touch of poetry from General Chang uh, when he was trying to uh, ease Conra's loss for the granddaughter. I thought, oh, that's this, that that's very Chang. I like that. And it's yeah, they did a good job with with him. Yeah, I mean, he they inserted him in there, and he doesn't say all that much, and he isn't in it for all that long. But I thought it was very cool that they slipped him in. Right. And you know that he's not really all that happy, or <laughs> you know that he's uh, he's actually plotting against Gorkon right then. Right. But uh, but yeah, yeah. That that's 
this is what I, I like when, when in chronological speaking, it happens before. So, you know, if you were reading them in chronological order, you wouldn't already know that he's going to betray Gorkon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like it when they, you know, they keep true with, with the big reveal that's going to happen later, chronologically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think sometimes in the Star Wars uh, expanded universe stuff, you know, now that we know that Palpatine is the Emperor, you know, uh, when they do some of the Clone Wars stuff, they don't make it a mystery that Chancellor Palpatine and Darth Sidious are the same person. Whereas if you were watching them in chronological order instead of release order, you shouldn't know that yet, right? right. The audience shouldn't know that yet. Right. And uh, that to me always does a disservice to what Episodes Three big reveal was, you know, if, if if that was a reveal to you or not. So I like it when stories like this keep keep that still a mystery instead of you know going back and if you're going to go back and tell a story straight from his point of view i'm okay with that right yeah you know kind of like a a a prequel of how he got there yeah but uh but this you know it's from gorkon's point of view or the regular regular klingon's point of view and he's not a bad guy yet so i liked it well yeah i mean he's really chang is nice (laughs) i mean he's he's a nice guy and he's he's he obviously um, likes Conra. Um, he's trying to help him with ease the pain, right. which is kind of almost like something Klingons don't do. But he's doing that. Um, but later in Star Trek Six, we see how bloodthirsty he is. Anyway. But and again, he was doing it almost the same way for uh, what Kalen was doing. Is that he thought he was doing what was best for his people? Yep. Yep. Which is always the best motivation for bad guys, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, bad, the best bad guys don't think they're bad guys. Right. As opposed to some comic book caricature over somebody that's just like snidely whiplash twirling his mustache or something. For no obvious reason except just to be evil. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I never noticed this before. But um, I think it's really interesting that they gave Gorkon a um an Abe Lincoln beard. <laughs> so uh, and in many ways he's like Abe Lincoln. He's he's going up against a very difficult uh political and civil situation and having to make some very difficult decisions and having to really force you know, half of the nation or half of uh, the empire to go along with him on this very difficult decision that they don't want to go along with. I, you know, just like, you know, Civil right. War, you know, what, what Abe Lincoln had to try to do to hold the uh, the Union together. Um, I thought that was very, very cool how they, I mean, it, you know, give uh, Gorkon the same kind of beard. So That's deep, Ken. That is it, deep. it is kind of deep. And it, it never occurred to me until I was reading this last issue. Right. And they had to have done it on purpose, the producers of Star Trek Six. I think so. I mm, think they did uh, do it on purpose. I never noticed it, but yeah. it's there. It's, it's always been there staring you in the face. Right, right, right. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what's awesome, and I didn't catch it at first. <clears throat> that is the cover, the main cover, the one that shows um, uh, Kalen. Right, her hands with the blood bloody. on it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then behind her is her her 
is uh is is her grandfather yeah. one holding the sword for war and the other one a dove for right. peace I, right man I, I did not catch that when i read it the first time yeah and then uh i didn't i tell you the truth i didn't catch it until i was writing the synopsis for the for the cover and i was like oh, this is awesome <laughs> This is so deep, awesome. man. They really thought about this. Yeah, yeah. And and the way the reason the granddaughter has the blood of her people on her hands is that what that's supposed to be? Yeah, or her own blood, foreshadowing for oh her own death. She's giving her own blood to, to to do what she thought was best for her people. Okay, but her decision in the end, maintaining the honor. That path, if you think about it all the way, odds are it's going to be the end of the empire. Well, a lot on her hands. Yeah, and I'm people going like back, her. I'm going back with uh, maybe she knows that losing Quonos would be, you know, a blow to the empire. Sure, but they have so many other planets that it wouldn't. Yeah, yes, to their their whole empire. I completely agree. And in the next issue. Uh, when you're when I'm reading about things, they're talking about how Praxis, the the, the destruction of Praxis, mm-hmm. affected a planet, which is like who knows where it is, but it's not it's not in the uh, Quono star system, <clears throat> uh, and it seems a bit stretched, a little bit forced. So in a similar way, losing Quonos, uh, how that would be the end of the entire empire, I do agree with you. But they're trying to really, they're trying to force that because you need to have something. That forces the Klingons to go against their ways and sue for peace with the uh, with the Federation. Right. I'll save my comments for the next issue, but I, I actually liked how they how they explained it in in this in this next issue. You do? Okay. I do. <clears throat> okay. Well, we'll talk about that next issue. All right. So back to this issue. Um, the uh, the train crash. Yes. I mean that that was a populated train, so. Uh, I thought thought that was a little sad. He killed all those people. Well, yeah. I mean, not I only know that, that he didn't do it, but yeah, yeah, he didn't. He didn't consciously premeditate to do that, right? Um, and and he just walked away from it. I mean, I was just thinking of uh, Unbreakable, or <laughs> you know, uh, you know that M Night Shyamalan movie mm-hmm. uh, where you know everybody dies, and it's like the only guy that walks away is the unbreakable hero. Right, Bruce Willis. Uh, but you know, so it was you know like Conrad walking away, you know, without too much, too bad of injuries. Uh, I thought that was kind of hard to swallow, but yeah. Right, and the uh, the assassins that were also in the same yep. car, they they bit it. Yep. You assume. Yeah, and well, they, the they didn't car, come after. So you would think that they would have taken. You know, not only do they take the first impact to the ground, but every car behind them. Yep. Should be piling up on. And top. they were all three in the same room. Right. Yeah, I don't buy the assassins either. and Conra all in the same uh, engine room or whatever it was. Yeah, right. Anyway, okay. And then I liked the fight real quick. The fight yeah. between the two. Yes, you know, it took what five five pages. Yeah, really, really interesting fight. But yeah. in the end, she did beat him, and then he was able because she was kind of gloating a little bit, or maybe she was even hesitant to kill him even yeah. after she had him. On the ground with the batleth against his head. Exactly. Uh, and he was able to just, at the last minute, twist around and, and stab her. Yeah. What, what, uh, whatever caused her to hesitate and not do the death blow right away, 
that is what killed her. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. If she would have just done it. Yep. Yeah, he would not have voted. Yep. And to be honest, I'll be honest. I kind of there for a little while. I thought maybe she would kill him. And then when because now she's the head of the house, she would be the one that had the vote. But is she the head of the house? I don't know. You don't ever see her parents. so No, you don't. But that doesn't and, mean they don't exist. Uh, true. True. But I was thinking that, well, maybe her father died in glorious oh, so, so she changed her mind? Well, I was thinking that that could, have been, uh, that could have been the twist. I was thinking she could go ahead and kill her grandfather, but then remember all these stories he's told her in the last four issues. And then have a change of mind. That, you know, he was, he was right after all. You know, that it took her killing him to realize that uh, what he was really standing for is is the correct path. Yeah. I thought that might be where they went. Yeah. Uh, interesting path they could have taken, but I think that would have been forced. Almost as forced as Anakin going to the dark side. Right. Well, <laughs> it had to happen. In episode three. I know it had to happen. It's just, couldn't well, he have done it? Couldn't Lucas have written that a little better? I, I, I just don't see, well, whatever. Different franchise. Yeah, it'd be like Robin Curtis's Savick turning to the dark side. Exactly. Why? What's the motivation? They would have had to explain it really exactly. well. Exactly. Really well, because Anakin was a good guy. But he sure, if, if whiny. But, boom, hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to kill Mace Windu and, uh, you know, go dark and kill younglings. I, I, I just don't get it. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, I not think sufficient. That was my last comment, not sufficient explanation. Explanation. Okay. Okay. My last comment. I do have a last comment. There is a um, there's a Gorn cover for I guess Gorn um, Spotlight okay. Alien Spotlight. Uh huh. And I love that. I love that drawing. I mean, that look. That Gorn just looks so feral and vicious. Uh, and and he doesn't look like the bulky, slow lizard in Taws. He uh, you know, in arena, mm-hmm. uh, it, I mean, he looks really fast and really dangerous and really rip you to pieces. I love it. I, th- I love that drawing. Have we done the Gorn alien spotlight? Yet? I, I don't remember us doing it. Oh, I certainly don't remember that cover. Right. I, I can't remember doing it, but maybe we did it back when, when the Gorn showed up in Star Trek ongoing, um, Kelvin universe. Maybe. But maybe maybe we didn't. I don't know. Maybe, but I do not remember that cover before. After doing it for four years, we kind of forget what we have and haven't done, which is kind of sad. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, the Gorn are coming. Looks really cool. Yeah, I'd read that one for yeah. sure. Okay. We'll have to double check and do that one. Right. We, can, we cannot mistakenly skip it. Okay, that's it for, for that one for me. All right. Well, that finished off that miniseries, which which I think was a good one. Yes, it was. Um, could have used a little less flashbacks, but I, I get where they were coming from, and, and I thought it worked. Yeah, I think it worked too. It just – maybe they didn't need as many issues. But I guess they really did because you have to hit the major episodes, right? Right. I mean if you start doing that, you're going to want to hit the major episodes. So, Right. I just wish they would have done either – you know, maybe do that Mark Mark Leonard Klingon uh, at the beginning of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Maybe 
maybe do one from you know from his point of view what wh- why were the klingons out there fighting the uh the um viger you know the that would have been an interesting klingon story that that would have been I, short i could have well yeah <laughs> i mean weren't they well, just we like on, we don't know what else was going on were they like on patrol or something and then yeah. then it comes up on their screens they investigate and i mean that would have been short well that's and fine and then then another one that I thought would have been an interesting uh, backstory was would be uh, I forget his name, um, Kirk or whatever from Star Trek Three. Go. Oh. You know why was um, he so obsessed with Genesis? I mean, it would have been interesting to see his backstory in, in an <laughs> issue, <laughs> and see even more of Reverend Jim slash Doc Brown Klingon. Exactly on pages. I, I would have, I would have liked that, but I know that they were. This was, you know, focusing on the smooth-headed race versus right. the headed race. But, right, right. The Taz stuff. Yeah, but I mean, but I always, you know, movies are part of the Taz universe, and this definitely takes place after those two events. So, right, you could have had them, or even General Chang in a backstory. Uh, I, I would have liked yep. to have seen that. Okay, but anyways, shall we move on? Let's do. That. So uh, this issue, this issue is Alien Spotlight Volume Two, Number Two, titled Klingons, and the uh, cover date is April of two thousand nine. Uh, the writer is Keith R. A. De Candido, artist and colors by J. K. Woodward. Yes, we've got the pastel watercolor stuff going on. Um, letters by Robbie Robbins. Editors, Andy Schmidt and Scott Dunbuyer. The one and only cover features a surly-looking portrait of Kang, who was not about to take poop from anybody. Year of Kalis, 893. Earth calendar, 2267. Kang speaks to his crew after the Organians have imposed their will, and their will is peace. How distasteful. His crew says it's madness. The sweet taste of conquest conquest is their due. They can't take it away from them. Kang tells them the Organians can and have. The Empire is negotiating a peace treaty with the Federation. Kang toasts his crew and says up to now they have been mighty warriors. Together they have tasted many victories. Some of the crew boast how weak the humans are, and easily defeated. Other question whether the gloating crew members have ever met a human, ever fought one, to be able to say how easily they will be defeated? Kang cuts the back and forth by telling the story of his first contact with humans. It was seven turns ago. He was serving under Captain Kravik, when their gunship was ordered to take back a metal-rich world called Quolis. The Federation had made Quolis and the people that lived there a protectorate. The natives took back their world from the Klingon overlordship. That could not stand. As they came into orbit, they were attacked by a fleet of four Tran vessels. Thinking they were only armed with lasers that could not breach the Klingon ship's shields, they ignored them. They quickly discovered those ships were armed with Federation phasers. 
the Klingon ship was disabled easily and towed to Quolis using tractor beams. No doubt another Federation gift. The surviving Klingon crew was removed and imprisoned on the planet by the insectoid Fortranians. Captain Kravik was able to escape his captors and prepare for war in the wilds. He fashioned a bladed weapon and attacked. When Klingon reinforcements arrived, they they found Kravik dead among 4,000 Fortranians. The Earthers claimed they had no idea what the Fortranians planned to do with the Federation tech they had gifted them. Kang said the Federation is made up of dishonorable men. He goes on to quote the proverb, 4,000 throats can be cut in a single night by a running man. Story 2. Year of Calus, 936. Earth calendar, 2310. Night in the house of Kang. The lovely yet older lady of the manor finds a grizzled old warrior raiding her pantry. She discovers the pilferer is none other than the lord of the manor, Kang. She engages her her estranged husband in conversation and finds out he has returned recently from a mission and has put his ship, the Katanko, in for repairs. He has resigned from the Klingon Defense Force after the death of his son. She asks how his mission has gone so far. So he tells her, In song! Uh, No, just kidding. He he just told her. Kang's ship rendezvous with the... Kang's ship... Kang's ship rendezvous with the Enterprise B to take part in the transfer of relief supplies to the Klingon world of Kadak, where the mighty house of Taklat has fallen on hard times. The destruction of the Quonos moon Praxis, where the Taklat had most of their assets tied up in massive mining operations, has put their farming interests on Kadak in jeopardy. Starvation is on the horizon for them. Kang receives word the people of Kadyak are refusing the Federation aid. Kang informs Captain Harriman, who is shocked at the refusal. They beam down to meet with Governor Torvid and overcome the opposition to the aid. The governor makes a show that things are fine on their world and they need no help from the humans. Harriman and the governor beam out of the meeting place, which leaves Kang and the governor's guard, Mazka, to talk. Kang finds out Torvid has ordered raiding parties on neighboring Klingon worlds to steal supplies for Kadyak. They can only help... The supplies obtained can only help so long. In the end, their world will starve. Mazka is shamed over what they have done, all to maintain Torvid's honor. The next morning, both ships find out there are no Klingon life signs on the planet. Both ships dispatch teams to investigate and find four thousand, and find the four thousand Klingon population of Kadyak are all dead. 
they had their throats slit by Mazka, all in the span of a single night. Story 3 Year of Kalos, 996, Earth Calendar, 2370 On Davos 4, in a remote cabin, Kang is with a very sick Klingon female named Yilda. She is the former wife of Kang's enemy, the albino. He tells her the story of how a follower of Kalis named General Tagrak defeated Ralkoror, who believed himself and his mountaintop castle invincible. After repeated frontal assaults failed, a single warrior named Krim, with no armor and just a dukta, ran stealthily into the stronghold and killed all of Ralkoror's soldiers as they slept. With no one to repel the next attack, Ralkoror was defeated and killed. The story told, the wife still will not tell Kang the location of her her ex-husband. The next morning, Kang finds her dead in her bed. Soon after, a messenger arrives with an amulet that is said to belong to Yilda. Kang finds it contains the location of the albino. Kang thinks about the revenge he will finally achieve for the death of his son at the albino's hands. After eight decades, the castle will finally fall. The end. Yes, so a nice prelude into the Deep Space Nine episode, Blood Oath, eh? Yeah, so I liked how this tied into that as well, Ken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't remember all the details from that episode, to be perfectly frank, so maybe you could fill me in a little bit. Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't remember them 100% either. I mean, I, I know that uh, Dax was there because, you know, in her past life, she was friends with him. Uh, but here they talk about the son of Dax also being one of the victims of the albino, mm-hmm. um, which, which I did not remember that part. Okay. Yep. Was that your? Uh, is is that where you were confused too? Well, I don't remember anything about. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, I did not see where they were talking about Dax. Um, so, in the final pages of this story, they were talking about Dax. Uh, I think he talks about it when he's talking to his wife in the middle. Oh, line. okay, okay, I missed that because he's definitely talking about his child. And of course, mm-hmm. we know the children of some of the other Klingons that were in that episode were also killed. Uh, right. But Dax also. Okay. Cool. Right. Which, like I said, I didn't remember that part. So right. uh, that that was interesting. Okay. So that was part of the motivation for Dax to go on that um, that assault with the Klingons. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense now. Which I always, but like I said, I it's been a while since I've seen it, but I always remember it as she went because she respected these elderly uh, oh, okay. warriors. Well, that's but, what I uh, remember more also. Yeah, so I need to go back and rewatch it. Okay, okay. I'm trying to find where he actually mentions the the Dax part in the book. Right. Could I have made it up? Surely I wouldn't have just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't doubt that you saw that, but... Okay, we can cut this out a little bit, but... I'm looking. Yeah. Now. Okay. So when right before the uh, the wife dies, okay, she says, um, "You have told me many times of Kor and Koloth and their sons, and your son Dax." 
Oh wait, and of no, your son Dex. Of your okay. son. So he. So Kang named his son Dax. Right. Because okay. he really dug. I guess Dax. I guess they were really good friends. Must have been. Yeah. Curzon. That's the one that everybody likes. The old right. guy. The old one. Right. My favorite Dax is always going to be Ezra. So. Oh yeah, she's cute. Okay, she's the one that gets the least amount of. Uh, even though she has, uh, she's had a good career after Deep Space Nine. Oh, supposedly a great career, but so, yeah. maybe one day she'll come back to the comic. Right. So I mean, she becomes captain of a mighty cool-looking starship. Right. Right. Well, considering all the experience that Dax had and he brings to his hosts, it's right. like. I mean, jump start on everything. I mean, I'm surprised he he isn't always in in a high ranking position. Um, it's a little cheating, though. It is cheating, but still, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I guess the combined entity that the host and the symbiote have—they're all different. So maybe not everybody cares about being captain. So, right, or pos- right. Pos- placements of uh, of leadership like that. But Ezra didn't either. She was a counselor, remember? So she goes from counselor and then combined, conjoined, uh, trail, and then captain. Right. That's so it's a, a big career change. Very once interesting. You get, once you get the slug in you. Yep. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that is that, is that racist? <laughs> uh, yes, but it's all made up, so it's okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. I just didn't want to offend our trail fans. Oh, there you go. If you're a trill and you were offended by what I just said, I apologize. Good man. Good good covering up for your mistakes. So Keith R. A. Del Candito. Right. Candido. Yes. Um I do not remember off the top of my head what, what all he's written, but he has written quite a few Star Trek novels. Oh, did not know that. And uh and I I used to, you know, when I when I was able to keep up with the novels, I remember right. always enjoying the ones that he wrote. Right. Cool. But for the life of me, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> well, and this is very good stories. I mean, I, I do like this issue. Um, it's just that if you are not steeped in Star Trek over many time periods, or if, if you're not pretty familiar with... Um, with Klingons mm-hmm. and that episode of Deep Space Nine, you're going to be kind of lost in some of this. Right. Especially the, the end. Right. So he wrote, um, he wrote a lot of the uh, Klingon novels. Mm-hmm. So they did a, um, a series based on the, the ship Gorkon. It seems like he wrote a lot of those. Oh. Um, he, he's written, uh, Oh, he wrote that Q&A, that Star Trek Q&A oh. uh, novel that, that came out um, that's a post-nemesis, but Q, Q novel. That's a good one. Okay, cool. Um, so. Well, good writer. Yeah, and he's written a lot of uh, other expanded universes. Like, I read his Spider-Man novel mm-hmm. and uh, hmm. even some Supernatural stuff, so he still, he still does it. Supernatural, as in the TV series? Yeah. Oh, hmm. 
You didn't know they had a novel series? I did not know that. If it's on TV or the movies and it's been somewhat popular, there's a mo- there's novels based on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, that's what – he wrote the – I forgot. He wrote the Resident Evil uh, book series or at least three books. Wow. It, so He's all over the place. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, good. Yeah, so Prolific. like I said, when I, when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, oh, okay. We're going to get a good story. Yeah. And uh, he did not disappoint. Yep. I agree. And the uh, the art by J.K. Woodward. I <laughs> am a big fan of. Uh, I am not. I like it. Yeah. So every everything's so blobby and fuzzy around the edges. It's just not crisp. I. Yeah. I, I think th- this is a fine style of artwork. Mm-hmm. I just find that it's directly opposing to the general trend in comics, where they just seem to be more high definition these days. And uh, I think the style of, like, watercolors and, and pencils and, and whatever they're doing here, uh, J.K. Woodward is doing, it's fine. It's nice. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's just I find it just the opposite of what we're getting more and more with most comics. Very right. crisp, very high definition, very saturated colors. Um, this is the opposite of that trend. Fair enough. I definitely can see where you're coming from. I, I like it because it's you know to me growing up as a kid of a, of of comic books mm-hmm. I liked it when they did something different you know yes. and and this was different and it, it is you different know, it you know it was more art artsy I guess mm-hmm. I don't know so I I really dig it I, I've always dug his work and and all the other stuff we've read and and yeah. you always disagree with me so <laughs> <laughs> it's it's personal preference all if personal you want a preference. full in depth uh, review go go listen to the Star Trek. Um, Doctor Who crossovers that uh... – Well, the Doctor <laughs> Who crossover. Also, when they did the original story of City on the Edge of Forever, they also uh, – Woodward did that one too. Right. Yeah, but the, at least at least on the Doctor Who one, we had you know several different guest hosts, and, mm-hmm. and one of the questions we always asked was, Do you, are you team Ken or team Donna? <laughs> the artwork. artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But anyways, that's what's great about art is that nah, – you don't always have to be a fan of it. No, no. Uh, but if it gets a reaction out of you, then that's kind of what art wants should be doing. So it definitely got a reaction out of both of us. Right. And, you know, to me, being a big fan of comic books, mm-hmm. you know, no no offense to the artists, but it's the story that, that keeps you reading them, right? It's not, you know, you can l- look at a page and then, and then you know you only get so much of the story. It's it's what's on what's the words on the page that really drive home how how effective a story is for me. And um, you know, to me, the art is just more to help move that story along. Right. So, but speaking of this one, I like how they depict in all three stories uh, the guy running around with a knife chopping. <laughs> Right, so we get we have three different stories that are either origin stories of the proverb, which I think the last story probably is just because it was so far in the past. Right. I mean, it was in the time of Kalis. And then the other stories are like spins on the same idea. I, right. I, I thought that was interesting they chose to do that, or he chose to do that. Um, I'm just looking forward to the next one they do that focuses on revenge as a dish Bester served cold. 
which is another Klingon proverb. I, I want to see the story made out of those, or the <laughs> stories made out of that. Right. Yeah. Give them a call and see if they'll work that one on the next alien spotlight. Maybe. I mean, it is quite a famous proverb, Klingon proverb. I mean, it was even used in a movie. Pulp Pulp Fiction, Fiction, exactly. Right. There you go. I think it's been referenced in other places, too. There you go. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. Which uh, I think they found out that... I looked it up once, and, and Star Trek II is not the first place that that was ever used. Oh, yeah. Well, didn't it originally – I mean, yeah. Didn't that originally yeah. come from some other source? Yeah, like like, uh, like a uh, – Like a real say, proverb. Was it a proverb or was it another novel? It was like – like, um, oh, man, what's it? Um, Dangerous Liaisons? I believe that was the novel that it came from the first okay. time. Okay. But it, if I if I remember right, it's been years. Yeah, but it wasn't quite the same. It was no, almost it was... so. It, I mean, the wording is a bit of a spin on wherever it came from originally. And if it's dangerous liaisons, so be it. Right, right. I but still it's love most it. Famous for uh, for Khan. I think so. I think so. It's very cold how... in space. How did Khan know that? Because he was sent out into space. Prior to yeah. Klingons, very good question. Not and, the first time it's been asked. I guess uh, maybe he had some books or something on the. Well, on he the he was crashed. in the original Taz episode. He was reading up a bit and catching up on things. But they he gave him access so deep into everything that he was able to learn Klingon proverbs. <laughs> I didn't and didn't use say, them in daily conversation. I didn't say it was likely. I'm just saying that there is perhaps a possible explanation in the original Toss episode, Space Seed. <laughs> well, plus his wife could have told him. That's possible. Know, before she died due to earworms. Ah, as we found out later in the comics. Cool. So, so yeah, I like this. and and But do you think the way they told the story, each one of these is telling the story, right? So all of them are flashbacks, so all of them could be making it up, right? So maybe that last one it was the true origin of the proverb. Right. But then all these other stories could just be people making up a story to kind of fit the same, the same thing. Maybe. Because uh, otherwise, it means at least three times in history... One Klingon guy killed 4,000 people. It's like, that doesn't sound likely. But if any race did it, it would be the Klingons. Right. No, I liked it. I like that it's ambiguous, that you know you never know which, if any of these three stories really happened. Right. As with most of the stuff Klingons say, because they always talk, in, they talk good games, but you never actually see what really happened. Yeah, really. So I will say one thing. Um, when we found out that the insectoid race, that 4,000 of them were killed mm-hmm. by a running Klingon, their, their name was uh, the Fortran race. And when I first read that in the comic, it was like, wow, I learned Fortran in college a very long time ago. It, it, it just, 
I thought it was interesting that they would select that name uh, for this race of insectoid beings. So is Fortran still used anywhere? Um, it was always used for mainly science applications. Mm. So it was very good at computational type stuff, but I doubt it. I'm sure it's, been, I'm sure it's more or less died out, but anyway. I, I never actually used it, you know, in work or anything. Right. Yeah, that was, that was one of those early languages used for uh, science applications. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't catch it. So you think it was just a coincidence, or do you think he did it on purpose? I, I don't think he did it on purpose, per se, but I, don't, I, I think he may have said, okay, what's a good, what's a good name? Uh, okay, uh, how about Fortran? It's like, okay, yeah, okay, fine. But I don't think he was trying to say anything. Right, you know, with with that selection of uh, of a name, right? But who knows? It just kind of took me a little bit out of it at first. It was like, what? what? Their name is the same as a computer program? Okay, language, computer programming language. Okay. All right. Well, back to the story. Um, the the third story, the one that was uh, the the taking over the castle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Storming the castle. Have a fun time storming the castle. Boys. Yeah, it really. Uh, I, I liked how it has a parallel to like the uh, the Acts of the Apostles in the in the New Testament, where it's kind of telling how people who maybe not necessarily knew Calus but mm-hmm. are following his teachings, and mm-hmm. how the other people, the other Klingons, the ones that are still following, you know, previous beliefs, uh, are kind of fighting back. But it's like it's like it's like that movement, but. Klingon, where it's all violent and it's all killing, and <laughs> I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. And, and to be honest, I didn't catch how soon after Kalis's, you know, movement started that this story was supposed to take place. I knew that they were followers of Kalis, but it wasn't until you and I were talking that. I mean, th- this either happened when Kalis maybe was was still alive or shortly after his his death. Yeah, I had the impression it took place when he was still alive. Uh, but I suppose I suppose it's possible it could have uh, been shortly after. Right. Yeah, yeah. It just says followers of Kalis, and the, the you know the one that's opposing him was like you know this new movement or whatever, and and so I didn't I, I didn't put two and two together that it was like it could have happened you know at the beginning. This could have been like the first followers of Kalis. Yeah, at the beginning of the story it says. It was in the days of Kalis, long ago, before we ventured out in the stars, blah, blah, blah. So, right, but, but everything's the days of Kalis, right? This is year 998 of the year of, the, of, of Kalis, right? So I just thought it was – Well, okay. Oh, okay. All so, of it's the days of Kalis, technically, because that's how they, they oh, mark well, time. Well, no, no. Okay, so it's the year 996, year of Kalis, 996. Mm-hmm. Which is where Kang is in the in the um, in the cabin with Yilda, right? The wife, and then but he then Kang tells a story, but the story didn't didn't take place in nine nine six. No, it took, right. It probably took place in the year of I don't know ten, fifteen, twenty. I mean, I think we talked about this before we started recording, and mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody out there knows this. But did they start the marking of the years on the death of Kalis? Or the birth of Kalis? 
or the beginning of the movement, right? Or when he, whenever he, whatever, became king or whatever. Like, and, like and maybe it doesn't, it. maybe it doesn't matter because it's so right. far in the past. But and it's not real. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> but I would, but somebody out there knows that. I'm sure somewhere in some it's been, story, it's been documented. Somewhere. It's been documented. <laughs> you know, maybe the original people that actually, you know, made up the whole Kalis thing and uh, you made him a kind of sort of Klingon Christ-like figure. Um, you know, maybe they actually, and especially when they came up with this, uh, this, this way of, uh, doing the calendar. I mean, this is the first time I remember being exposed to, uh, how the Klingons keep track of, of time. Agreed. I thought it was cool, but. Yeah, I did too. I liked how they, they, they gave it a, they gave it the Klingon year and then they gave it the earth year, which you also don't see very often in Star Trek. Right. You see star dates. Right. But the bottom line is, it's like, definitely Taws was 200 years in the future. Right. So, the show was on in 1966, 1967, 1968. When you do see dates, uh, they tend to be in the 60s, but 200 years in the future, which is interesting. So, the first story, which took place after, you know, at some point quickly after the Organian instant, incident, the whole story, mm-hmm. uh, Errand of Mercy... Um, that was 2267. Right. Everybody knows this, who's a Star Trek fan. I just found it very interesting. I always found that interesting, but. Right. But then now that 2267, you know, sure it's still a long way away and we're not going to make it, but to me now that doesn't sound like that far away, you know, now that we're already in the 2000s. Yeah. Whereas I think if I was in the 60s, 2267 would sound really far out. Really far out, yes. But now that I'm older and I'm like, hey, I might make, I might make 2070. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so uh, let me see. Other than that, what other comments did I have about this one? I liked it quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And the artwork was great. Yep. The story was great. Yep. Seeing Harriman, great. Oh, yeah, Harriman. Yeah, and Sulu. Uh, Demora Sulu, right? Mm-hmm. That was very cool seeing them. Um, again, Harriman didn't do much. He didn't say much. And some of the looks on his face were kind of, uh, you know, dorky, I thought. Eh, he kind of has a dorky face. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why they cast him. I mean, that's why that, that actor is... I like him so much. Like in Spin City and Ferris Bueller's mm-hmm. Day Off, he just—he has one of those very expression, expression-filled faces, and often right. slightly confused looks. <laughs> well, I—I I always go back to him as Ferris Bueller's uh, dopey sidekick, right? Um, so having him actually play a captain is quite a contrast to Kirk, right? Yeah, I always like the expanded universe that that talks about his captaincy because I don't think he gets a good shake in Star Trek Generations. He's all like, oh, "It's going to be installed Tuesday." <laughs> I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, and they and they wanted yeah for the store for that generation story, they wanted him to be saved by Kirk, right? But if you're a real functional captain, you know you gotta you can't be saved by anybody, right? Well, maybe your crew, but that's it. Right. So there's 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 a few novels and we did the captain's log. Yep. 
of him, and, and I, yep. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, when he showed up in Spock Reflections, I didn't care for that because that was more of him second-guessing himself again and needing Spock to reassure him that he is indeed a good captain. Right. Even though Kirk died there and all that stuff. So yeah. uh, I guess he's had a hit or miss, miss uh, even expanded universe appearances. Yeah. And, and as far as this one, it is brief. And really, he he's very much a secondary character. Well, he's, he's just yeah. he's just responding a bit to conversations with Kang, um, and he's just like when he finds out they don't want the the Klingons on the planet don't want the uh, Federation aid. What does he say? That's insane. We have the food for them. How can they? It just seems whiny. <laughs> it just seems whiny. But yeah, I, I didn't think it was that bad. Well, because uh, I like it at first where he's like you know. I don't know, because he's like, yeah, you know I don't have to talk to you. I could just beam straight down. Yeah. And then King's like, no, you will talk to me first. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, what... And then he just kind of gives that smirk. Yeah, sure. I mean, the whole reason that Kang is even there is like, like, like a little bit of a question mark. I mean, is Kang even – because Harriman can just beam the stuff down to the planet. See you later. Um, right. But the, they send a, a D7 out there. Or whatever the designation is, you know, in next gen time frame. So mm-hmm. they send a warship, or not, it's not. No, it's not. Deep, it's not next gen time frame. It's it's Taws, right? Movie well, Taws, l- late late Taws, right? Movie Taws. Um, still, I mean, why they send a ship? Is it because they don't? They still don't trust the humans. Just in case they pulled a fast one, they want to have a warship there to take them down. Right. That's that's, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. So in this story, my favorite part is is the end of the retelling when Kang's wife mentions that uh, you know just because you go around and kill five thousand, four thousand of your own people to save face, mm-hmm. you know that's not a victory. That's not honorable in any way. Yeah, I thought that was good. That was good. I like that she put him in his place. And, yep. Yeah, it's something that we don't see very often in in Klingon stories. No, that you can't go around killing everybody and still plan on winning in the future. Exactly. So very much probably a Gorkon supporter she is, um, and part of the wiser faction of the Klingon race, which apparently in the end um, won the day. Right. So real quick, in regards to the references to Praxis here. Mm-hmm. I liked it. That okay, so so you like the explanation why losing Praxis, a moon around uh, Quonos, would mm-hmm. affect a colony planet or whatever. Maybe it's not right. a colony. It's four thousand people, so that doesn't sound like a lot of people. Right. Um. You know, in a completely different star system. Right. It's economics. I never thought about the economics of losing. Um, the home world and and Praxis would have a ripple effect to all the other colonies. So, um, you know, they talk about this 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 colony was dependent on factories and stuff that were built on Chrono or on Praxis, and then when that was destroyed, they didn't have any funds left to continue the the, the operation that was being done here. Okay, so but... I I liked that I never thought of that being the reason why the Klingon Empire could have potentially fallen after Praxis and well, and possibly Quonos. Okay, but 
Okay, this is specifically, I think, the main thing they said. With the loss of their factories on Praxis, mm-hmm. the House of Taklat could no longer maintain their iridium mines or their farms on the planet of Kajak. Right, because okay. they need supplies, so, they need people, they need they need uh, well, but money, and they didn't have okay, it anymore. But, okay, so the mine's fine. You don't have anybody who's going to buy the iridium? I, I don't know. Um, but farms, I mean, they were building farms. Unless they were doing terraforming, and maybe they were doing terraforming, but you would think that if you've got farms going on a planet that can support farming that that's what you'd eat. So if they really have farms, you'd think they would be able to have food. They're growing it. So I didn't quite... I didn't get that part. I mean, if it was just mines and they were importing everything, okay. But they say they got farms. So I, I don't know why you can't farm and eat what you grow. I think that if you start a colony on another planet, yeah. no matter how how Earth-like or Kronos-like it could be, right. you're you're going to need infrastructure off-planet. Well, to yeah, uh, until help support that that colony until it becomes completely self-sufficient. And the way I got it, yeah. this colony hadn't made that yet. They they were still, you know, in the you know they were still a drain on that house's resources, okay, financially. And when that house no longer had any revenue coming in, they couldn't support the colony on this planet. I, I like that. I like that that thought, and and then you know, rolling that out as as if they lost Praxis completely. How many other houses would also be in the same boat where they were no longer generating revenue and any any uh, outside of the solar system planets they had would would have been affected. Right. I still don't think it would cause the downfall of a whole empire, but at least I can now see that it would have a, a ripple effect and would make life for these people harder. Yeah, and it's a question of how mature. I mean, 4,000 people, that's not a lot of people. So sure. maybe your point is right. They're not mature enough to be self-sustaining. Uh, their farms are apparently not self-sustaining. They may need something right. from Praxis. They need something from somebody in, in, the, in the home world. Uh, to be able to maintain their farms, so right. Uh, okay, but that can't be the only. I mean, they've got they've been expanding as long as the Federation, I think. So they probably have very independent worlds by this you point. You would think so, right? You would think. Yeah, because how many times did they go to a planet on the original series, and then the colonies there seem to be pretty self-sufficient? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even then, you had the Enterprise checking on them every once in a while, and so maybe even those yeah, weren't it, as independent as we thought. Well, and colony worlds are one thing, but there's, we're also seeing planets that are more developed and are, you know, seem to be self-sustaining worlds. Right. But, yeah, there you go. Anyways, I, I liked it. I thought I, – I, that, that made me think of a reason why Praxis – Destruction could have uh, damaged the Empire in a, in a different light, and, that, yeah. and that, I like it. Well, definitely the idea that the destruction of Praxis actually is in some way poisoning Quonos's atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, that's important. I, I can see that being a really big deal. 
Well, and it would have thrown the it would have thrown the orbit of the planet off, right? When you suddenly don't well, have that other mass, you know, the it, orbit around the planet or around the sun, sun, the, right? The, 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 the whatever the sun's name is, uh, the star that right. Kronos revolves around. Yes, yeah. Well, definitely, any kind of uh, tidal action going on would be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Right. I mean, if it actually was enough to throw off the orbit, so then you had climate change, either too close and become everything heats up, or too far and everything becomes too cold. Um, I could see that, but that didn't well, seem like what they were talking about, though. Look what happened uh, to uh, Khan's planet. Oh, Another Khan. planet in the solar system <laughs> well, exploded, and yeah. they turned into Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that, – yeah. Anyways, long story short, all three of these books I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but this third one, this this uh, these three the tales, I, I yeah. really liked. Yep, very good. Okay, well, another good set of books, and I think another fine episode of Star Trek comic book review. That's a little self-serving, but okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Just wrapping things up. Sure. So speaking of wrapping things up, so we should go ahead and talk about what we're going to do next week. So next week we will be doing, as episode 263, we'll do Boldly Go 4 and 5, which is the Spock is a Borg cool. uh, storyline. And then Waypoint number 3, which I think is a Voyager and Deep Space Nine story, right? Uh, definitely Deep Space Nine. Is it both? Cool. Well, there's always two stories in the waypoints. Oh, right. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think right. this one has a Voyager and, and a Deep Space Nine one. It is. Yep. So I'm looking forward to that because we've, we've never seen a Voyager story done by IDW, right? They've, they've yeah. had Janeway in one issue as, as kind of a, a one-panel character. But right. it'll be kind of interesting to see a true – I'm looking forward to this. This is great. I mean, it, this, I think, is just the kind of thing that they developed Waypoint for. It right. gives you the opportunity to, to, to suck in the different franchises, sub-franchises, within the Star Trek franchise and tell stories without actually committing to a full uh, comic book series. This exactly. is great. Love it. Love yeah. it. And I'm digging the, way, the beyond, so, so – or boldly go. So next week we get Kelvin Universe and two different – of franchises of the prime universe right doesn't get better than that well maybe for you it could what are they going to yeah. get an enterprise yeah, story enterprise story in there and then then that would then be <laughs> donovan will be a very happy man right so and me but you yeah, especially all right well that being said let's uh, wrap it up and uh, get some reading done excellent Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes. 
or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. <laughs>